Hello and welcome to this podcast for the Centre for the Study of Governance and Society. My name is John Meadowcroft and I'm a reader in public policy here at King's College London and I'm delighted to be joined by Bernardo Zaka, who's Assistant Professor of Political Science at MIT and he's here to talk about his book, When the State Meets the Street, published by Harvard University Press in 2017. So welcome Bernardo. Thanks a lot John for having me, Glad to be here. Great. Well, first question, I suppose, to talk about the book is maybe you'd like to tell us a bit about what drove you to write this book and what is the your overarching argument? Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was driven to write this book. I'm a political theorist by, by sort of training and um, uh, you know, the impression that uh, 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 in political theory, when we talk about the state, we often talk about it in very abstract terms as a collection of rules, collection of laws. Um, when it comes, uh, uh, however, to interacting with the state. We never interact with the text of the law, with a set of impersonal rules. We always interact with with people, with frontline workers, public service agents. Um, And political theory has very little to say about uh, about, uh, how these agents should behave, how they ought to interact with us. We have a lot to say about what sorts of policies we should have, uh, what uh, kind of laws do we need to put in place uh, for them, for us to have a just society, what would a legitimate set of laws be like. Uh, But when it comes to policy implementation, we uh, 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 have far less uh, to to go by. Um, So the the, the idea for the book was to sort of put back our interactions with these frontline workers at the center of our thinking about the democratic state and to uh, try to develop something akin to sort of a a political ethics for street-level bureaucrats. We have such an ethics for a lot of other uh, 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 figures for for judges, uh, for politicians. Uh, some people even think that being c- citizen is a, is an office, but not not for frontline workers. Um, and um, and in part, I think uh, uh, or just sort of uh, I came to realize that partly this has to do with the fact that we have a rather sort of maybe narrow or simplistic understanding of how bureaucracies actually operate. So the book is an attempt to kind of complexify our understanding of bureaucracies and then to uh, say something about the challenges, the moral challenges of being a frontline worker. Um, and, and I guess one of the, sort of the, main, the main arguments I try to develop in the book is that the proper implementation of public policy depends on the capacity of street-level bureaucrats to be uh, sort of balanced moral agents who can... Uh, uh, kind of go back and forth, weigh, strike sensible compromises between a variety of democratic values, and yet the context in which they must perform their work is such, so demanding, the demands placed on them are such that uh, 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 their moral agency is often kind of undermined. Uh, so we have a state that depends upon their moral agency at the same time proceeds to to truncate it. Um, and I, I try to sort of uh, flesh out why this predicament comes about and to, you know, very subjectively propose some ideas about how we might think of, of remedying it. Thank you. So the, the empirical focus of the, of, the, of the book is on the street-level bureaucrats, the frontline workers. Yeah. Uh, and maybe you could define what that, what the, who those people are for us. So, so the term street-level bureaucracy is a term that, that's coined by um, uh, Michael Lipsky, uh, a book I think that was published in the 1980s called Street-Level Bureaucracy. And, and Lipsky developed this term to refer to a sort of a, a category, a stratum of, of, of sort of workers who effectively act as um, uh, the everyday face of the state. Uh, these are the, 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 the people you interact with when you interact with uh, social service agencies, welfare agencies, even the police uh, uh, in, in the realm of education. So vastly different types of agencies. But these workers all have uh, share certain, um, I guess, commonalities in terms of their what, what he calls their work situation. So they are low-ranking employees. So they're you know, so basically the lowest ranks of the administrative state. Uh, they're not in charge of making policy. They're in charge of applying the law to specific cases. They're in direct contact with clients. So it's a face-to-face very often, although that's maybe no longer <laughs> quite true now, but, but that's sort of at least that, that's what it was. Um, and, um, and, and, and their job is, is sort of, uh, I guess the way, the way I'd like to, to put it is, 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 is kind of challenging in a sense because unlike their peers in the back office who may be dealing with administrative cases, people who've already been pre-sorted into administrative categories, they're not dealing with that. It's their job to create that. Uh, so they're hearing 
uh, uh, people's personal life narratives, their stories, their problems, and they have to act as translators between that reality and the much more regimented realm of public administration. And that inevitably involves some measure of kind of creative force fitting, uh, if, if, if you will. And, and so I think that, that it's one of the reasons why I think they're, they're quite interesting. Um, why do we care about street level bureaucrats? Well, we care about them in part because uh, they mediate our access to public services. So uh, within the ambit of the law, they are the ones determining whether or not you get a check, whether or not you get arrested. Um, they determine what kind of label is applied to your particular situation. So they give administrative recognition to people's personal problems. And finally, um, they, um, uh, um, um, they determine in part how the interaction is going to feel. Uh, how uh, how the state comes across, whether you feel you've been treated in a demeaning, respectful, a courteous manner, or or not. Yeah. I guess a key question is raised, isn't it? So why does, do street level bureaucrats determine those things? So part of the reason why they do is because uh, the um, uh, sort of the the the, the, the laws that uh, that the, that they inherit, uh, that in general bureaucracies inherit. So so. Um, uh, uh, remain uh, to some extent underdetermined. Uh, there's still some sort of wiggle room in there, uh, and uh, 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 and so so street level bureaucrats exert discretion. It's discretion kind of within the realm of the mandate that they're given. They're not necessarily stepping beyond uh, and ex- you know utilizing their personal conscience to sort of. Uh, but they're uh, they're uh, sort of uh, basically filling out the the holes that are that are left. Now these these some of these indeterminacies, uh, of course, are uh, uh, have uh, um, problematic origins, right? So sometimes you know politicians don't want to settle questions, and so they kind of defer the ambiguity down to. Uh, uh, to public administration offices, and this kind of trickles down all the way to the front lines, and uh, uh, you get a situation where people have to deal with a lot of ambiguity, and, and they're responsible in a way for for, for failures. Um, but very often, uh, that ambiguity exists for good reasons. In part, it exists because there are certain questions we feel like we can't quite settle at a very high level of of generality. We want there to be kind of a contextual judgment, depending on the specificities of the case of the situation. Uh, uh, the nature of the encounter, so we we give them some sort of some wiggle room to 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 decide what what to do. So a quintessential example of this is that uh, you know the police officers are, are sort of are typically instructed to maintain order. But what does that mean, right? It's kind of it's an ambiguous. It's, it's, it's a, and any attempt to clearly specify what that means denatures the nature of the goal that you're pursuing. So there's. Uh, this is uh, what what would we call kind of um, discretion that exists f- there for good reasons. Um, yeah. Okay, I guess one question also that arises there, I think, is the size of the street level bureaucracy. I mean, do do you have a sense of how many people we're talking about when we discuss this sort of tier of bureaucracy? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of people. I mean, in a country like the US, it's, it's probably maybe reaches into into the millions. It's basically every single office that you need to 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 go into everywhere where there's a counter, you know, from uh, the DMV uh, to you know, Social Security Administration, um, uh, Veterans Administration in the UK. Think about job centers. These are the sorts of places to to have in mind. Um, now, of course, things are starting to change a little bit, and a lot of a lot of the work that these frontline workers used to do is now being uh, depersonalized and automated through uh, 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 kind of computer systems, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and and that's kind of leading to all sorts of interesting interesting transformations. Um, and and I think that sort of one of the reasons why I wanted to study street level bureaucracy is because um, you know to get a sense of how to assess and to uh, uh, appraise the functioning of these electronic systems, we need to have a sense of what they're replacing. Uh, and to see if there are important functions that were performed by these bureaucrats that uh, might be lost in, in, in the translation, or on the contrary, uh, 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 important problems that, that could be remedied. Um, so, so it's a large stratum of workers. The, the other thing that's important to note about them is that um, they used to be, uh, uh, at some point, uh, primarily government employees, uh, and that's no longer the case. Um, so a lot of uh, street-level bureaucrats today belong to um, are contractors of the states. They belong to either 
non-for-profit organizations or for-profit organizations that are awarded contracts on a cyclical basis to perform state functions. Uh, but regardless of their, their uh, status, they are effectively the person you interact with in order to get state services. So they, in that sense, they are that they are the state of the, fa- the, the face of the, of the state to ordinary uh, citizens. Um, yeah. I mean, do you have a sense, has the, what we might call sort of quasi-privatization, hmm. has that changed the dynamics for street-level bureaucrats? Um, it has. I think um, it has in part because um, it's changed the, uh, 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 the sort of um, the, the way they're assessed internally. Um, uh, a, a lot of the, um, the, the privatization has come with an increasing emphasis on kind of metrics. Um, and the metrics are very good at tracking certain things and not so great at tracking others. There are certain things you can put a number to, the number of cases you've processed, number of cases you've closed. When it comes to uh, whether you've closed the right cases, whether you've interacted with the person well, respectfully, this is much harder to to track. And so there, there's been a change in, in, in terms of the, uh, uh, basically, people being directed in a way to, to, to prioritize some of the things that, that can be tracked. Uh, and, uh, you know, that that's, it's, it's understandable why we got there, uh, but uh, it also creates all sorts of problems. Privatization also is interesting from a moral standpoint because uh, especially when you think about uh, people who work in non-for-profit organizations or people who work in for-profit organizations, uh, that means that the workers might have kind of a duty or, 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 or an obligation to take into account the interests of, uh, of the company that they work for and whether or not they're actually Profitable, or if they work for a nonprofit organization, the mission of that organization is it a Catholic charity? Is it? And and these are considerations that they are kind of morally obliged to take into account, but that are sometimes at cross purposes with some of the aims of um, of of the state. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We well, speak from experience here, I know, because having read the book, you undertook some original ethnography inside a, a, a bureau, if you like. And again, maybe you can tell us a bit about that. Maybe. First question, maybe tell us a bit about the bureau itself, the, mm-hmm. the organization you worked in, mm-hmm. and how you, how you got access, perhaps. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I, I, um, I ended up uh, conducting uh, some uh, uh, some field work. Uh, so over, over a period of eight months, I kind of volunteered for a few days a week as a as a receptionist in uh, um, uh, a sort of a public service agency in the northeastern United States, in a large n- northeastern city. Um, that um, uh, basically is a, is a kind of a non-for-profit organization uh, funded almost exclusively by public monies at, at uh, uh, federal, state, and local local levels, um, and that that serves as kind of a one-stop shop service for many uh, public services. You want food stamps, you want referrals for public housing, you need to access a shelter, um, the whole gamut of, of, of things. You, you go there, they compile files on your behalf, send them over to governmental agencies, and, uh, and, and, and go from there. So very often you get the service or not without ever having seen uh, a government employee. Um, and I... Um, it's quite difficult, at, at least at first, to, to 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 get access to the organization because uh, you know I'm a sort of I'm, I'm a political uh, political theorist, and, and most of, of the people I worked with had never really. It's not usual for us to do uh, to venture out into into the field, uh, and I was lucky enough to encounter um, a, a kind of a, a professor who had done research in more anthropology and who put me in touch with someone in 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 an organization uh who had an interest in the project and who sort of um, initiated the uh, uh the, the the process of me um um the um sort of the, the challenge of course is that um especially i mean i think it's it's the case here but 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 in the, in the united states um, you have to go through a very long process of uh, ethics kind of review uh, for your study to to be approved, and um, and so it's important to kind of let someone within the organization have a sense of what it is that you're doing, um, which I did with someone who was relatively high placed. But then there is a subsidiary question, namely, how do I present myself to 
uh, 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 to the co-workers. Um, and there we kind of came to sort of an agreement with them, with my university, that, uh, that, that there would be some amount of kind of controlled deception involved, namely that I was going to present myself as a researcher, but as a researcher primarily concerned with studying clients and how clients presented themselves to the organization, whereas my primary interest was in studying my co-workers. Um, and um, so this is kind of how I, how I entered the organization. And uh, I was there not as an observer, but as a participant observer, namely I had a full-time kind of job to do. Um, and um, and it was a really uh, you know eye-opening experience for me because it kind of brought to life a lot of things I had read, uh, gave me some confidence in in, in, in kind of in, in the the accuracy of the literature, but also it enabled me to experience personally some of the challenges of doing such a job and emerge from it with a lot of sympathy with 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 people who who have to do it and, and and also you know it's not such a good <laughs> such a good street level bureaucrat myself so, so yeah that's true. i mean you do get a very vivid sense of the, the center that people work there the clients that go in there i guess the challenges that those people face day to day it really comes through in the, those passages of the book i mean it's, it's really it's very effective i mean i must say um i suppose i think you partly answered this but it's still in my mind I mean, how did the other workers respond to you in a sense? I mean, they knew you were a researcher, so they knew that you were there on a sort of different basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, how mm -hmm. did they how did they make sense of that? You think? Uh, I think uh, a part of it at the beginning was sort of uh, some curiosity and, and kind of a sense of maybe being obviously a bit more a bit more reserved. Um, that uh, in the particular organization actually uh, uh, ended up, I think, um, uh, kind of changing over time. In part because, as you you know, as you do the work, as you deal with the, the kind of the ordinary crises in a way over a period, as you put in the hours, um, things the rapport rapport changes uh, with, with, with people. You start you know being being uh, uh, taken out uh, for cigarette breaks, lunch, or. or you know, coffee, and 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 it's in these kind of informal settings that 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 uh, that a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, information comes comes through. I, uh, I made a kind of conscious decision not to kind of interview my coworkers formally until until the very very end of the of the process. In part because I didn't want to kind of change that uh, the dynamic. Um, Part of the reason I think why why uh, uh, you know why access was was sort of um, was possible in an organization like that is because it, it relied quite heavily on volunteers, um, and um, that was um, uh, not just kind of people who were there on a temporary basis. So there were there were these, but this is in part as well one of the conduits for hiring. Uh, so they would get people to come in as volunteers, potentially hire them. So that meant on the one hand that that, that being a volunteer was not necessarily um, that, that you know that you had access, but it it, it also came with with a very high turnover. Uh, so after uh, a few months there I'd actually been one of one of the you know, I had had a steady presence compared to some of my peers and that that helped things. Yeah. Um, and the, the second methodical pillar, if you like, mm -hmm. of the book is is uh, political theory. Mm -hmm. So your background is first and foremost as a, as a political theorist. Um, maybe the question there is how do these two things fit together Being a, doing ethnography and doing political theory I mean, it's, a, it's an unusual match yeah it is and, and that was part of the, the sort of the wager of the, of the book is to see if we could find a way to kind of make them talk to one another I, I mean um, I, I think uh, 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 you know p political theory is concerned with political institutions uh, it's interested in thinking about um, the justifiability of these institutions, how they work, um, but, but but often it it kind of it it um, it's not necessarily it doesn't always stay abreast of kind of developing the social sciences and how these institutions actually function, as opposed to kind of adopting a certain ideal type of how they how they may function, yeah. um, and and so uh, uh, there is a certain uh, uh, kind of. Uh, uh, rough understanding, I think, uh, 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 that's still present uh, in political theory, though, of course, if you put it ver put it verbally like that, people will say, no, it's not, but but a, a bureaucracy is kind of a mechanistic entity, takes large goals, divides them, very hierarchical, rule-based, uh, and as a frontline worker, you get a very concrete task, clear objective, and... Uh, um, and you just kind of uh, almost like the sort of Charlie Chaplin movies. You kind of just pull your lever, and you, um, um, and, and I think that that doesn't quite correspond uh, to how bureaucracies actually operate. So, um, and, and and therefore, 
the kind of theorization of the moral responsibilities of bureaucrats, etc., that's based on that model of bureaucratic function isn't quite necessarily adequate for bureaucracy that that actually operates according to a different ideal type, even. Um, and so uh, the the approach uh, uh, was was to sort of um, to try to to try to do political theory by beginning with attempting to understand the actual functioning of uh, of um, of organizations, sort of not leading in with kind of normative principles, but leading in rather with a more um, I guess I call it an, eth- an ethnographic sensibility, but it's really an attempt to understand how things work, so that then we can uh, 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 bring in some, uh, uh, um, well, ag- gain some conceptual purchase over over how the thing actually sh- operates, and then perhaps ask uh, uh, normative questions that are slightly different uh, different than than the ones we would have otherwise asked. So this is how I think they. Uh, they uh, uh, they fit together. It's a, it's a political theory grounded in. Uh, a, 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 a more, um, I guess, empirically uh, rich uh, understanding of, of our institutions. Yeah, I can't help thinking of roles when you talk there. I mean, the most <laughs> influential political theory work of the uh, second half of the 20th century. I mean, a, a magisterial book in lots of ways, but a book in which there are no implementation problems whatsoever. I mean, the state just makes decisions and they're implemented yeah, without without question, without difficulty, and so on. Exactly, it's a complete it's a complete absence, and uh, and I mean, I, I think that you know there there are reasons to understand why it is absent. Right? If you think that bureaucracy is this sort of like mechanistic entity, then it, it doesn't give rise to interesting normative questions, right? The normative questions are settled at the level of policy. You decide what the policy is, then you just apply it. Uh, and so these are managerial challenges. Uh, there are challenges, you know, that that that. Um, about kind of uh, uh, institutional design in the in the technical sense, but they're not challenges for a moral or political philosopher to grapple with. Yeah. Uh, if you think that bureaucracies operate differently, as I try to suggest they do, as literature and street level bureaucracy suggests mm-hmm. they do, then uh, they're filled with, with 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 kind of moral dilemmas, and and their absence from from you know the theory of of justice or legitimacy becomes yeah. questionable. Yes, well, let's think about some of those moral dilemmas that mm-hmm. our street level bureaucrats mm-hmm. encounter. So in the book, you describe three pathologies of street-level bureaucracy. That's your, that's your term, which I may want mm-hmm. to say something about. But you describe how street-level bureaucrats take on a role of indifference, a role of, as a caregiver, and a role as an enforcer. Mm-hmm. It may be the first thing to say what those three roles are and how they emerge, perhaps. Is that the, the way forward? Yeah. Um, so so, so the, the basically, they're... they're um, um, Doing kind of street level work, um, you, you're kind of trying to to perform three, I think, core tasks. One of them is to do is just kind of rapidly, uh, you know, as rapidly as possible, processing people, sorting them out into categories. There's a kind of people processing dimension to the job. There's a service uh, dimension to the job where you're trying to be responsive to the particularities of people's situations, try to, you know, make something that works for you as a particular individual, and. There is a kind of a regulation component of the job, which has to do with uh, making sure that uh, that you know people are are kind of complying with fairly with the uh, requirements of the program, that people aren't cheating, that people. So there is a bit of kind of a policing, um, and, uh, and and these kind of correspond in a way to the three sort of pathologies. Maybe you know sort of now thinking back, it's maybe sort of a too strong a term, but 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 to the three dispositions that I that I. Uh, that I had identified in the book, and um, and I think that you know, ideally, uh, uh, you know, you, you'd, you'd kind of you'd want a, a, a street level bureaucrat to kind of have all three of these dimensions of the work in mind, and mm-hmm. to know which one to prioritize depending on the particularities of the case of the of the client coming in, and that's part of why you give them discretion in the first place because it's hard to to define that in a rule. And, um, the the, the the problem or, or, or some sort of um, something that that, um, that that I found um, striking uh, in my time uh, working at this agency and then afterwards I think got confirmed when I kind of um, checked my notes with the literature and street level bureaucracy is that there seemed to be um, uh, um, uh, in a way a, a gradual process of, of specialization or narrowing of concerns that took place. That's um, correlated with the length of your tenure in the organization. The more experienced workers, not all of them, but many of them, 
gravitated towards one of these three dimensions of the role and became committed to it. You know, I'm here to catch cheats. I'm here to serve uh, the public against a horrible system. Or I'm here to, you know, I'm just doing my job. My job is to see as many people as possible. Uh, you know, I, I, I don't care about these. these. Uh, and, um, and sort of this, 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 this wasn't necessarily the case. It's not the case when you enter the organization, right? You're a newcomer to the organization. You're thinking, you're told that you need to do these three things. You're trying to figure out how to make them. So how do we and why do we go from, uh, 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 from a kind of, uh, in a way, um, uh, uh, um, uh, what I would call kind of an, an unspecialized uh, concern for three dimensions to more of a narrowing or specialization. That's part of the reason. We can come back to that later. But but um, but, I, but I also thought that the reason why I was concerned about this is that there's something there's something troubling about um, um, about uh, kind of the specialization process, and, and it's troubling for two reasons. The first is that if bureaucrats are indeed specialized along these things, then what service you get as a client of the state is going to differ quite widely depending on whom you meet. Uh, so that's that's one concern to have from the um, uh, from the outside. And the second is that, uh, well, part of the reason why we, you know, what, or sorry, I argue why why we need to give bureaucrats discretion is precisely because we want them to be engaging in this kind of balancing act of of judgment. Uh, 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 actually, moral because these are kind of, uh, and um, if we end up with workers who are committed to one of these dimensions of the world, it's as if they had kind of prejudged the case before even before even seeing it. And so, then why did we why did we give discretion in the first place? Right? It's sort of it seems that then then might might as well settle for an arbitrary rule. But at least we have chosen that rule as opposed to. Um, so this is this is one this sort of reason why I kind of call them um, call them uh, pathologies. I also call them. I think it's a better term to be reductive dispositions. There, uh, uh, so so where specialization here isn't isn't a term of praise. It's it's just basically talking about uh, a kind of a, an excessive narrowing. Um, and so this is yeah yeah. I think you identify as, as crucial in in the way that this plays out. It's just simply the pressure on the people at the street level. So I guess there's pressures of resources, of time, of money. There's pressure, psychological pressure, I suppose. They're dealing with people with difficult problems and so on. <laughs> and, I, and my sort of personal reaction, to say to which the, the people's responses seem perfectly reasonable. I mean, they, they seem like a very, how I would probably respond in that situation. And they are. And I think I think you're absolutely right to say that they that they that they they're uh, they're um, they're reasonable in the sense that um, so so part of the argument just to sort of elaborate on, on what you what you just said is that so part of my argument is that these um, um, these reductive dispositions aren't conscious choices uh, mm-hmm. there aren't uh, uh, you don't decide to to do that uh, there are ways of coping. Ways of coping with uh, 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 with a very difficult environment. That environment is difficult for for many reasons. So bureaucrats are supposed to make condition uh, decisions in conditions where uh, they're understaffed. The resources that they have to hand out are, are very uh, are very limited. They're seeing people who are very vulnerable and who are quite anxious about whether or not to get the services, and they have to 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 kind of to decide what to do. And they can't uh, 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 they can't they can't do it all. Uh, and so, uh, uh, some of the, the 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 kind of the 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 dilemmas you face in this situation when you're dealing with vulnerable people, you can't do it all. You have to, you know, cut someone's uh, uh, kind of monologue short because you have to move on to the next. You have to tell this person, "Well, I've helped you as much as I can. You know, I could do more, but I'm not going to be able to because." Um, these are decisions that aren't just cognitively demanding; they're 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 morally tormenting as well. They're kind of agonizing. They leave you with a with a they're they're, they're tragic choices in a way, and uh, that and that comes with a lot of psychological pressure. Um, and we know from social psychology that uh, you know, of course, some people can't cope with this pressure; they burn out. Uh, some people just uh, 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 completely manage to compartmentalize, but many people uh, will. Uh, respond uh, uh, by simplifying uh, kind of the moral landscape, right? Sort of saying, well, actually, you know what? I can't do it all. I'm going to pick one thing that I'm reasonably good at so that I can actually live by myself at the end of the day. And, 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 and I'll, be, I'll be good at that. Um, and that's how you get the reductive this way. So there, it's very understandable why people gravitate towards those 
had I been doing that job, I would have most likely gravitated uh, gravitated there. There are some workers who don't, who manage, and I try to say something about how, perhaps, but or just to sort of suggest something about how they don't they don't go there. But but in part, it has to do with the work situation in which they're placed. And if you put people in that kind of work situations, unless you're dealing with kind of heroes, uh, uh, they are going to end up there. Um, so it, it kind of forces us in a way to, 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 to think back about the work conditions that we're creating and whether or not these are the ones we, we want. Yeah. And one thing, again, that, that's, I think, striking, these people, I guess, are not very well paid. I mean, we're not talking about people with, we're getting lots of financial reward. The people themselves are, if you like, you know, struggling in some respects and so on, you know, towards the bottom of the employment scale and so on. Absolutely. Uh, and, uh, and and one thing that has changed is that not only are they not uh, paid a lot, but their jobs are no longer uh, safe. Uh, so it's no, this, this is not the kind of the tenured, you know, sort of civil servant position that you, at least you have, you have a commitment that you're going to be doing it for, for life or insulated. No, this is, this is... Uh, uh, um, uh, a position that uh, uh, where you know that you're you're dispensable, uh, you can be fired. It's much easier to fire people when they're in the private sector or non-profit sector than than if they're government employees. It's part of the reason why, yeah. um, and, um, and 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 therefore um, therefore the cost in a way of of sort of you don't have the luxury of being committed to a public service ethos. I mean, of course, some people are. But up to a point, because you know that your job is on the line, so you also need to be attentive to these metrics. You need to, um, and and you're pulled in these in these in these many many directions, um, and, and and so so I think that definitely adds to the sense of of the precariousness and. The, there's also something I noticed. There's ambiguity at a slightly higher level too. Yeah. So I think towards the end of the book, you describe is it John who's the the overall manager of the organisation, one mm-hmm. of the managers, he's got a particular view about how the centre should be run and its aim, which is to end dependency, like not to create a cultural dependency. Yeah. I think it's Laura who is the manager of the, the unit where you worked, or the agency where you worked, and her aim is to create a welcoming environment that's different to other government agencies. And there seems, again, at a high level, this tension between what they should be doing, quite a fundamental tension in a way. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you, you know, the, 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 even the metaphors that they use to describe what the space should be like, you know, sort of, uh, I think John is the sort of boss sort of says, you know, this has to look like a doctor's office, right? Mm-hmm. You're here to get a service, you know, we're, we're here to like, we're going to treat you like an adult. If you're late, we're not going to see you because we're, we're training you to be, to be, uh, to be independent. Uh, and we're, we're not, we're not uh, sort of, uh, you know, in kind of a, uh, um, uh, providing pastoral care or something of this sort, whereas uh, whereas my immediate boss, sort of uh, uh, who worked for him, had a very different understanding, uh, which which was to to kind of create a space where people who had been turned away from other places could actually come and possibly get uh, get help. So there is uh, there is a, a, a deep kind of I think tension between what the what these offices should 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 do and, and be like, and in part it's because uh, uh, um, uh, the the staff members in that particular organization had been recruited with very different backgrounds. Um, so you know, someone like 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 Laura has kind of gone through from the neighborhood, committed to, you know, gone through a social kind of work type of uh, professional kind of education, uh, rises through the ranks, is there to serve a community. You have someone else who comes with a background like John, with background in management. Who kind of is at a different level of seniority, trying to kind of, you know, to coordinate the work of, of, of multiple centers. You need to have metrics to do that. Um, part of, you know, I, I try to make a case that that in the in the context of that particular organization, actually, the, this plurality of this tension uh, uh, to have it within the organization isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, that there is something uh, uh, something potentially uh, uh, useful about having a kind of uh, Sort of certain elasticity being pulled in different directions, mm-hmm. um, uh, because these uh, uh, each of these sources of authority within the organization is reminding you of a value that you need to care about. Mm-hmm. And as a frontline worker, you're exposed to all of them, and that in a way opens up a certain space where you can, you know, on, on one day for one case, be like, you know, I'm kind of I'm doing this because John, I'm doing this because Maria, up to a point, right? Because there is a point at which these tensions become so strong that you literally cannot live by them uh, and you're completely disoriented and then your behavior becomes either completely ad hoc or, you know, 
you piss someone off and you're and you're fired. Well, this your description of the importance of the personal in the in the public service delivery and how people's personal decisions may determine people's outcomes in a very real way made me think of another literature which you don't really discuss in the book but is very uh, present at the moment and that's the work in behavioural economics on the different outcomes that are produced by decisions made by people. Um, one example, famous example is the actions of judges mm. and the time of day you see a judge can determine mm. it seems the sort of sentence you then receive mm. 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 and I wonder if that's is, is that complementary to what you're doing is it different to what you're doing how do you Together. Uh, yeah, I think that that's very interesting, and I'm, I'm not as familiar with this literature as I as I ought to be. But 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 I think that that both uh, in a way uh, um, share something something in, in in common, namely there there's a sort of um, an attempt to say that the the kind of uh, moral life isn't uh, entirely contained. Uh, in in people's minds, right? It doesn't just simply flow from principles and sort of. So, if you want to understand how morality is is lived and how moral decisions are are made, um, uh, uh, you need to replace the, the the kind of the individual agent in the particular context and pay attention to 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 the situation in which uh, in which they're placed. And that, that situation might be temporal, what time of the day is. It might be environmental. Uh, so I've been doing some work recently on actually on architecture and, and, and what effect that might have. Right? So, so the, the, the setting, the space, um, and, um, and, and, and it has and it has profound effects, I think, on uh, uh, um, on what people do. Uh, uh, but also, and, and I think that's something that that literature doesn't quite explore uh, 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 um, sufficiently. But that I think there is potential for a lot more work. But on, on what meaning they attribute to to what they do, um, and uh, and in that sense, um, uh, I think um, I think it's sort of um, um, it kind of forces you to to ask. Uh, to ask a question, uh, namely, um, you know, if uh, we want judges, if we want street-level bureaucrats to be moral agents of a certain kind, committed to a particular kind of values, um, not so much to ask the question of, uh, you know, how should they weigh these values exactly, sort of standard political theory or moral philosophy question, what's the sort of right formula, but rather the question of, what work conditions, what working environment do we need to to create to enable them to be attentive and responsive to it? So I think it's it's a kind of a, it's a different type of question, uh, where the boundaries between uh, I guess theory and empirical uh, work are much murkier, and I think in a in, a, in an interesting way. Uh, yeah, I mean that raises I think one of the boldest claims of the book, I say, <laughs> and it's quite early on in the book, page four, I think. And you write there that street-level bureaucracy erodes and truncates the moral responsibilities of the workers. I wonder, I think later in the book you, you may be a less, mm. less bold in, your, in the claim in a sense. But I wonder, I mean, is the question, do the, would the workers and clients that you met, would they agree with that? That's one question that came to my mind. Uh, the, the workers, would the workers the and, and their clients. Uh, yeah. about my sense that the, the, the relationship often seemed quite close in a sense. So I wondered if if they would agree that the, the moral sensibilities of these bureaucrats have been eroded or truncated in this sense, yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, I think, that, that, I mean, that, that raises sort of an interesting, an interesting methodological question, namely that that I think it would have been uh, uh, something I wish I had, I had, I had been able to do, namely to to kind of talk more to to clients, and I made kind of a, a choice at the beginning uh, 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 to kind of focus on the bureaucrats, and so my conversations with clients were were. Uh, Kind of a little bit more uh, more limited. Um, I think that if you were to go and ask uh, you know someone working at the agency uh, whether or not they you know they felt like they had uh, they had a, a kind of a reductive take on the role, they will of course say no. Um, what uh, 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 they might answer something interesting, however, to another type of question, namely, uh, what do you think of uh, so and so's take on the role? Uh, and uh, and then um, then you do get kind of responses saying, oh, you know, well, that person is going to say that if you ask them for sure, you know, and this person is going to say this. Um, and what is interesting uh, to me, at least, is that they uh, the language that they use to describe that is that a character, right? So it would be that oh, so and so has this personality, 
um, and uh, uh, so so it's kind of it's 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 kind of related to 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 factors that have to do with 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 you know what kind of person you are as opposed to um, you know the the explanation I try to suggest, which is really I mean it is it is a conjecture. It's not a sort of a conjecture I try to make, which is that uh, maybe it has to do with the work situation as opposed to it's because of the work situation that people gravitate towards certain character. Your personal history, your personal predispositions might determine which of these poles you gravitate to. But the fact that you're pushed towards specialization has to do more with the fact that the, the central position is untenable in a way. Um, and and um, uh, and I think you know I think the claim the claim needs to be nuanced to some extent because. Uh, you know, it's not street-level bureaucracy itself that does that. You know, uh, it's street-level bureaucracy performed under uh, certain conditions, and often under the conditions that we happen to have today. Actually, seem to be conditions that produce that. But they're not. They're not conditions that. Uh, there may be conditions that are here to stay, but they're not uh, unchangeable. Um, if you were to, you know, staff these agencies better, if you were to fund them better, you re- might reduce a lot of the the kind of the. The, the, the tension uh, there, the, 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 the sort of the, the, the agony. Uh, if you were to, um, um, uh, yeah. So, so, so basically, so, so, so in a way, um, you know, what, what the claim I try to make is that uh, these distortions at the level of street level bureaucracy are happening in part because of the pressures we're putting on these agencies. We're giving them these competing mandates. We're giving them a certain amount of resources and asking them to do things that they often cannot do. Uh, and so when we look at them and we go to a welfare agency and you see a bureaucrat and you're horrified that you're treated poorly or maybe you're treated very well, but the person behind you is not treated well because you've been treated well and there's no more time to... Um, these are, are in a way kind of reflections of, of our collectively held value commitments uh, and they force us to kind of you know, take the matter back to politics and think, okay, what do we, what do we want to do? Uh, this isn't just uh, a, a problem of, 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 of kind of bureaucracy. It's a problem of an organization operating under certain constraints with certain value commitments. And we can change any piece of the puzzle, but one of them has to change. <laughs> well, which is the piece that you advocate changing in the book? So in the book, I... Um, I basically I try to I try to um, to to kind of do a sort of an, an artificial and may restriction on the on the range of choices and I and I kind of assume that that we're dealing with sort of with with today's institutions largely as they are largely with the level of funding that they have. Uh, some people, for instance, think that you know you could circumvent all these problems by having a basic income or by funding these agencies much more generously and maybe that's true. I, I don't know. Uh, but I, I try to kind of retain what we have so far, and I, I try to look at uh, at two things, um, uh, 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 which is uh, uh, you know what you might you might call two different levels of variation. Um, take any uh, street level bureaucracy that we have today. Uh, look at the different people who work there. Are some of them better able than others to? under today's pressures, to meet the kind of plural dimensions of the job, to keep this pluralism alive. If so, which I think there are, there are certain role models, uh, what is it that they do? Uh, what, what, what kind of moral practice, what kind of exercises do they perform that might account for their relative success? Uh, the second level of variation is sort of say, um, you know, pick, um, um, uh, pick um, different types of similar agencies uh, are some of them, some workplaces, better, more successful than others at delivering the same sorts of services under the similar constraints? And I think there, the answer is some of them are, or I, I, I try to suggest that the agency in which I worked was actually relatively good compared to other things I've read, in, in, and it has to do in part with the organizational culture. So these are the two things I sort of, I sort of look at. Um, but this is a very constrained uh, a, a kind of uh, you know so, so solution set. The, the bigger question is, of course, institutional and political, and it has to do with uh, uh, what happens when uh, 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 with kind of transformations like what we've been witnessing, seventies, like new public management, etc. When you increase the dial on one of the values that you want the state to uphold, uh, maybe the efficient delivery of services, and you put more pressure on that, uh, what happens to the workers 
what happens to the organizational culture and can you still retain a kind of plural commitment to not just efficiency but also to fairness responsiveness respect or uh, does that pluralism collapse and if it does then um, you know then then we need to to really be sure that that we're okay with that um, and this is one of the sort of the big questions for me reading the book was at times you describe what I think you advocate in a slightly different way. So I think, I mean, you hint towards virtual ethics, though I realise that you do sort of take a step back from that as a sort of solution. I think that the most powerful description was almost like a moral craft. Would that be fair? Yeah, I think, so at the, uh, so this is kind of at the, uh, at the individual level when you look at, you know, why does one worker uh, respond better to, to another? Um, I think that uh, 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 what, it, what it was sort of... Um, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a political theorist, so I'm kind of I'm, I'm interpreting what I see through the lens of, of political theory in particular. In this case, I, I thought that there is sort of um, a, 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 a range of a range of of, of, of practices uh, that um, that frontline workers utilize um, to um, mitigate, in a way, the force of the of the dissonance that of the psychological pressures to which they are exposed. Um, and these can be very simple things, like uh, like uh, like ways to kind of uh, 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 keep a track uh, of of what you're doing, so as to to detect uh, kind of a nascent bias in how you're responding and counteract it. Ways to know when to take a break. Uh, 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 ways to develop a peer group that's sufficiently plural. These are certain things that some people do better than others. Preserve maxims that remind you, and they're. There's one way to look at them and to say, well, this this kind of this is very trivial stuff, right? This is kind of like the, the the stuff of self-help manuals, and indeed, these workers often read these self-help manuals. But I think that that uh, is actually much more profound than we often give it credit for. Right? So we think of self-help manuals as something you find in airport in airport, uh, you know, uh, 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 bookstores, but uh, but they actually have a very long history in in, in, in moral philosophy. It goes back to the Epicureans, the Stoics. And more recently, people like Pierre Hadot and Michel Foucault have kind of revived that. Um, and um, I, I think I call it a moral craft because um, it's not, uh, these are kind of practices that you deploy at the moment to uh, take a breather, let's say. And that's very different from the sort of training and habituation of character that you often get in, in, in virtue ethics, where sort of like you have to deeply inscribe these traits into your, your, your psyche and then you become a certain kind of person that acts reliably. This is, on the contrary, it's more of a gymnastics, right? You need to know, oh, now I need this one, now I need the other one. And um, it's, it's an art of, of doing. Um, and and uh, so, so kind of looking at what I saw some of my peers doing, certain things that I kind of found reading against the grain literature on street-level bureaucracy and looking at it through the eyes of, of, uh, 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 of this literature on uh, practices of the self, I, I kind of try to show that there is a certain art, a craft uh, that, that, that's at work and that you know, it's not gonna. It's not gonna save uh, bureaucracies from from the pressures to which they're 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 exposed. But um, it uh, 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 it is uh, an important and kind of delicate type of thing uh, that um, if you look at it uh, from sort of a different perspective, it might just simply seem like you know these people are just wasting their time. Like, why are they spending so much time here? You know, I need to cut down on the breaks. I need to cut down on that. Uh, but it's doing more work than we give it credit for, I think. And so this is uh, okay, no, that slightly a rambly answer. No, 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 that was very clear. No, that, that's definitely helpful. That, that, I think I understand more of what, what you're saying. I guess what the, the, as a political theorist, I mean, this, I think the, the final sort of set of questions must relate to how this should make us think about, I think, democracy and the state. So maybe we should take democracy first. Um, yeah, well, I, I, I mean, I, I think, um, um, I think that it's, to me, maybe the the uh, the, the two are, are somewhat related, and, and they come they come they come together under the figure of of bureaucracy as a type of institution. I think uh, uh, one of the the main kind of messages I'm trying to get across uh, with the book 
and, and it's I think you know it's a sort of a message that may seem very obviously true to some people and and just maybe maybe kind of completely misguided to others depending on how you look at it is that is that bureaucracy is not um, simply an instance of kind of it's not an instrument it's not it's not it's not just a side of instrumental rationality like means and you know uh, a, a kind of a machine that you get to do what you want but rather um, it's uh, it's 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 a uh, um, it's a place where uh, a kind of moral judgment happens at every single level of the heart, even down to the lowest levels, uh, and where uh, some of our kind of more more abstract value commitments um, are given practical shape. Uh, so as bureaucracy operates, uh, it takes certain uh, uh, certain um, uh, 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 um, values like. Fairness, efficiency, uh, respect, um, and through the judgment, everyday judgment of these bureaucrats, it's kind of giving them a particular shape. Um, so there, there are two things. At the conceptual level, that means that bureaucracy is much more of a site of institutionalized phrenesis uh, of practical judgment than it is an instrumental, and that might have consequences for how you want to manage. You, man- you manage a judge very differently than you manage uh, uh, someone on a tailorist uh, uh, production line. And if street-level bureaucrats are more, you know, towards judges than they are on on, on, a, on a you know uh, sort of a production line, then then we need to think differently about the environment in which we create around them. That's one thing. And the second thing is that I think it it, it sort of um, it it brings uh, uh, it leads us to ask a different set of questions that um, aren't quite. Uh, as present, I think, as they they ought to be in uh, political theory when we think about democracy, Uh, namely that there's on the one hand the question of what we want a state to do, that's something we encode in laws, and then there's the question of how the state ought to do these things, how should the state interact with those who are subject to its authority. First question, you decide in parliament, the second question, even if you think you can decide, you can decide only up to a point in Parliament, and the rest gets done in bureaucracy. Um, and that's a set of normative questions. You know, what do we want from these? You know, and that's what you were asking me. So, but it's sort of like you know, uh, if we want to manage the organization better, we need to know what we want from them. Political theory might have something to say about that. For it to say these things and to work on this, it needs to have a different image of what happens when we implement public policy, and that's. I hope what part of what the the book the book is is trying to do for sure. Well, it's a great book. I mean, I, I really enjoyed reading it. Um, I think there's a, maybe just to finish, I would, yeah. I would say three things. It's a great book about street level uh, bureaucracy. I mean, it's a it's a compelling account of of what happens in the literature that's gone before. It's also a great book. I mean, it makes its own case for ethnography and political theory coming together. I mean, it, this I think is a great way to do political theory and a great way to do theoretically informed ethnography as well. And finally, it's a great book about governance. I mean, we don't often think about governance at the street level, but clearly, I mean, we should, because this is where governance takes place. So, Bernardo, thank you for coming to speak to us, and thank you for for writing writing the book. Thank you very much for inviting me.